Hello, and welcome to Against Austin, an Against Me podcast. I'm Dwayne, uh, and I'm here with Austin. How are you doing, buddy? Hey, man. Doing great. I'm very excited for this. Yeah. Yes, and we actually, Austin, believe it or not, we have a guest this week. Um, he is from Street Fight Radio and the POD cast. He is a leftist podcast icon. <laughs> he is an <laughs> expert on shock jocks, mega pastors, and new metal, and also a fellow sociology major. Give it up, everybody, for Murder Brian. Hey, what's up? I don't know if I'm an expert on anything. I just know a <laughs> lot about a bunch of really scuzzy dudes. You've That's got to know life. more about shock jocks than anyone else alive. I would think that it's very likely that if there ever comes a time where that knowledge is is uh, uh, valuable, that I will get to be on the documentary or whatever the thing is. Like, Absolutely. I always live like, because, you know, I, I, I always am like, man, they have got to make a fucking Bubba the Love Sponge doc series yeah. on Netflix. They have to do it. It's yeah. crazy that they haven't <laughs> even considered, like, this guy that, this fucking guy that's done so much crazy stuff one and two irreparably damaged the media online the like first generation of we ruined of hulk hogan's life journalism ruined hulk hogan's life this guy man i mean and then uh, um, uh, on to the other stuff it's just like you know trying to get uh the lawyer that's suing him pulled over for drunk driving uh slaughtering a pig live on the radio and then claiming it wasn't really a pig and then like all this stuff is like the dude has the most interesting past and it's something i've been like really banging the drum for anyway in true crime is like more scams less murders I think yeah, is what I sure. think they really need to they need to get because it's all murder and it's like fine I'm okay or, or sex crimes it's murder and sex crimes and it's like I watch it you know um but like I only ever truly really enjoy myself watching that stuff when it is like some scuzzy scammer like Bubba right. the Love Sponge you know Well that's perfect because Austin actually does a podcast about like scam scammers and grifters uh so yep. that's, yeah. the, that's, that's the right thing. up his alley So we may have to dock offline about some some mega church pastors and televangelists cuz that's definitely a, a sweet spot for me <laughs> I love them I love oh Jesse God. Duplantis Oh yeah. That's my favorite guy. Jesse Duplantis. He did go to heaven and I have heard him describe <laughs> it and it seems very interesting. That seems like shit actually. It seems like the worst place in the world, but I feel like I'm Marilyn Manson when I say that in a way cuz it's like he just is like, "Oh yeah, you know, God is really big and then you fly around him and then he can just flick you out of the air and it's like that doesn't <laughs> sound good at all i don't want that i'm so happy to hear you say that because when i was a kid my family was very religious and i remember being like six or seven years old and just sitting in church and going like oh no like you you die and there's more stuff and it's just church again like what the fuck so i was terrified I of that <laughs> I hate, I hate the idea. Like I hated church as a kid. Yeah. I never went like the oh, God, weirdest thing. Know. My dad, it, that's why we do Holy boys. Me and me and Tom. Cause Tom did go Tom tithed to Kenneth Copeland when he yeah. was a teenager. <laughs> yeah. So 
So basically the concept of that show is this guy who didn't grow up around church at all. Me, I, I was, I said, I didn't believe in God in the fifth grade and everybody at my table was like gasped. They were freaked out. And like, I didn't think it was that big of a fucking deal, you know, because like my parents never talked about religion or anything. And now I come to find out they're religious. Like they, they love God. They're like Lutherans. When did that happen? I don't know. When did that, that, was it like a recent thing or just snuck in there? My dad said he's never been an atheist. I always assumed he was an atheist. He still doesn't fucking go to church. That's okay. a, I always talk about that with my father-in-law. It's like always talking about Jesus when I go over there. Now, keep in mind, I only go over there like three times a year. But yeah. anytime I go over there, he's always talking about Jesus. He's like kind of a conservative guy. And um, I'm like, man, I used to sit out in your backyard all the time like, while you got drunk and like yelled curse words and like listened to classic rock and you know, now you're like way into Jesus. But then, you know, my wife told me at one point, like, yeah, he, um, what did she tell me that was really, Oh, they were Mormons for a while. Oh, wow. (laughs) And they turned Mormon in Hawaii, which is also like an (laughs) odd place to just be like, Oh, I think we're Mormons now, but then they were universalist Unitarian or whatever that is like a hippie church. And he was like, they let anybody in. You don't even have to believe in God. And it's like, then what's the fucking point (laughs) to go to church and not believe in God. So like, yeah, I, I, I never grew up around any religion at all. Uh, got sent to vacation Bible school, I think when I was like 11, but, uh, me and my older brother dropped my little brother and little sister off there and then wandered around the neighborhood until it was over. Like when I was in high school, I went on like a week long, like, I guess it was like a fucking mission trip. It was basically like a big, like camp, like a Christian camp with all these other kids and like adults and shit. And we all slept in this school and like went and like did like chores and shit for people. And uh, yeah, I was I I had like a phase when I was like 14, 15. I got really into church because I got scared. I was like, oh, you know, I mean, I don't want to go to heaven, but I guess I don't want to go to hell. I'd never met anyone until I went to college who wasn't Christian except for one person. In my entire life and that guy was a muslim so i'd never met an atheist in my life and then i met some in college and i was like ah i guess you can just do that yeah and it's a, for me it's like a total lack of curiosity about where we come from <laughs> really who i am as like a person like sure it's like i think religion is for people who like are like why am i here what you know how did yeah. we get here and it's even the same thing with like atheists and stuff still will be like, you know, the Big Bang and stuff like that. And, like, I don't fucking care. I'm not worried about I, any space shit. Let me tell you that no. right off the bat. Well, I'm oh. not worried about where I came from. Yeah, I'm not worried about why I'm here. I don't think about any of that stuff because I don't care that much. You no, know, I don't really worry about, like, what happens when you die because it's like there's nothing I can really do about it. So yeah. whatever takes place, I guess I have to just roll with it, you know? Well, and you, yeah. you, re- you realistic, you, you know, you got an expiration date, right? You only got so long. Why are you worrying about this shit? You can't change. You just know, you're just not going to change it. Sure. Yeah. I mean, and what's the, the space, like, like, that's the thing about like 
like trying to figure out where we come from and then just arguing about it all the time. (laughs) It just seems like, well, we're not going to know. I, I guess at some point we could find out not while I'm alive. No, we're not really going to know. So what are we really doing? What's the point? Like, what well, do we even? I like I worry about it too never much. Know, you know? Yeah. But at the same time, there's some wild ass shit in the Old Testament. You know, like those, some of those stories are like, "Woo, what is going on here? Where did that come from? That's recorded history." All right, let's go. It's sick. The Bible is cool. Yeah, like Bible I've wild, I've gotten dude. like way. <laughs> you look into. I I'm never gonna read it. Like, because it seems too hard to read, but like, I listen to preachers a lot because of the, uh, uh, you know, the podcast thing. And, uh, I was just talking about this on Twitter before this is like, I like the Christian, like, like when they argue, they call each other false idols and like (laughs) demons and stuff. And it's like, that's so fucking cool. Like these guys, like they go for the throat. I think like, it's a, I, I think it's like. I don't know. I, I, I find that stuff interesting cause I wasn't there. Uh, so it, right. do, it didn't traumatize me as a kid. Cause that's what ends up happening. Right. Is like people are very traumatized by this stuff growing up and they don't want anything to do with it. Well, for me, it's like, it wasn't around. I just, yeah. it wasn't there. It didn't affect me in any way at all. Well, I was going to say a side street that I kind of turned down more recently doing some research for another show was, the like all the ancient alien old testament the nephilim and the you know i love those that guys stuff, man. <laughs> and how they like tie all that shit in to to alien beings coming and mixing their dna with humans and starting these i just love it i think it's so i think it's the way they make that stuff fit with their own mythologies it's just fucking chef's kiss i love it love it i've been obsessing over mormons yeah for like the past month or two <laughs> And like, oh, they believe some wild stuff. Yeah, they do. And uh, I made people mad. My show started out with a, a Mormon audience. Like a lot of people that listen were Mormon. And then That's they backed off when the show got less, you know, overtly political. Yeah. So, huh. yeah. We should, I, uh, we should compare notes. We should talk. So we Mormon talk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hell yeah. I got some. Like, there's a there's a period and uh, when um, Joseph Smith dies, and there's no heir apparent to the Mormon Church, and and it, there are some wild things that happen at that point. Like a lot of weirdo grifters claiming to be the next prophet, and and like angels coming down and talking to him. It's a lot of fun. It's, there's like eight or nine of them. It seems like the main thing that they that main Mormon experience is like a bunch of guys fighting over who the prophet is, which yeah, exactly. I like. I actually think that's <laughs> great. Too. Yeah. Hey, I've been hearing Jesus been saying I'm actually the prophet. It's like when Kevin Nash uh, started booking uh, WCW, and he was like, uh, you know, who should end Goldberg's streak? <laughs> right. Me, <laughs> I'd be the best person to end this yeah. streak out of all the people, and that is the kind of thing that I love like that is I call that being beast it's so cool when guys <laughs> you gotta I also part of me wonders if like the previous prophet they know they're in their final days intentionally doesn't name an heir just to kind of fuck with everybody he's like listen man I had to fight all these other like would-be prophets you're gonna have to do the same you gotta earn this thing 
I mean, they seem like political animals, really. They are. Like the people at that height of the uh, Mormon church that aren't like FLDS. Yep. Uh, I'm going to just go ahead and say it FLDS freaks. Uh, the people that are at the top, it really is just uh, uh, another government that right. these people are fighting each other for control of yet another government and like a state. Basically. That was also my problem with church as I got to be like a teen. It's like I got school. I got a job. I got the fucking government. Now I got some guy I don't even talk to telling me what I got to do. Like, what's going on? I'm not, I am the same. I, I just, it's the same thing with me in the military. It was like, I never, I never turned into the, the thing that made me a leftist in an age when most people were moving right was sort of a military warship where it got to a point where, and it's really weird that this never comes up. Right. But in, in the two thousands, specifically the early two thousands, you know, between like 2001 and 2000, like eight or 2010 it was like you couldn't say anything about the government or the military without you know getting screamed at for it <laughs> yeah we were and, just um, talking about that on the last episode because uh it comes up in some of the songs and uh laura was telling a story in her book about like um when they got signed to the major labels they were playing like all these festivals and stuff and like there would always be like military like recruitment shit and she said finally one day like they were playing like this festival and it was like sponsored by the marines and she just had like this meltdown on stage about like you know what fuck it like don't buy any of our merchandise like this is fucked up like and like she's one of the only people like in rock at that time like saying that kind of stuff because like you're absolutely correct you had to be pro military like 100 percent. and now that's that morphed into the cop shit and that's how we got to where we are now. So I, I mean, and, and I always think about it like before, uh, you know, nine 11. Yeah. Like I hated the police. Dude, so what's much, crazy even to me- before the thing happened. So after it happened, you know, there's a couple days where you're like, God damn, you know, they ran into that. There were a couple days where you kind of got into the stuff, right. but like I always flash back to like my senior year in high school. We're, we're talking about like 1997 uh, is when I graduated, and um, just them trying to recruit me and me thinking it was the dumbest thing in the world to sign up for the military. Like just thinking oh, straight yeah. up, like you've got to be a fucking rube to want to go fight wars for these people for like a regular living and maybe get killed. There weren't even any wars going on when I was at that age and I didn't go. So like, I never got to that. I never got to that, that high level of cop and troop worship because I always saw it all as like, I don't need somebody yelling at me. I'm not going to fucking have somebody yelling at me when I turn 18. No fucking way. Some guy is going to scream at me and call me a piece of shit. Once I've moved out of my parents' house. Yeah. (laughs) Well, so I was in high school, 2002 to 2006. And there was literally a military recruitment table in the lunchroom every single day that i was in high school with like a guy trying to like get people to sign up and shit yep but yeah i just felt the same way like 
your pitch is you're going to be mean to me and then you want me to go shoot somebody like <laughs> no way buddy at least, at least you were in high school like post 9 11 like brandon said i mean i graduated in 99 there wasn't anything going on you know and they were still there every fucking lunchtime right in the cafeteria at this small ass school i went to trying to scoop up as many people as they could and it's just it like this crazy. is this is hey brother is your life uh uh aimless they would always ask me if my life was aimless because <laughs> oh, <it> yeah. <laughs> yeah i looked like a piece of shit because i was one and uh, yeah but aimless would, is like what i'm going for buddy i'm not trying to do stuff you seem like you I, got too much going on yeah that that's kind of how i was always like well you know it's the 90s. I said a bunch of mean things to them that I wouldn't say in 2022. <laughs> uh, but like, I just, I, I, I just never signed up and I never was like excited to sign up or wanted to try it. I didn't want to do the selective service stuff. Right. I just didn't want to do any of that shit. I thought it was all fucking stupid. So, yeah, like, yeah, uh, yeah, I never went through that phase. And then when, when we started Street Fight, like, I was always like, why don't comedians, because I was listening to so much Opie and Anthony and I had grown up listening to Howard Stern, I, I like was really into this stuff. Why don't comedians like make fun of the military? Why is the military <laughs> the thing that's off limits? Yeah. But like, I mean, if, if, if anybody out there ever listened to Opie and Anthony, I mean, they fucking make fun of everybody. I, I, not everybody, obviously not the military yeah. and people like that. But like they were always talking about how I have to be able to make fun of like this thing for freedom of speech. And they never turn their sights on that sector of the world. And that's what made me want to do what I do was, yeah. was just right. like, yeah. I did want to be, I, I still have a desire to be like edgy that didn't get beat out of me. Right. And, I still have that. Yeah. I just don't want to be like a guy that's like, I don't want to be a guy that's like yelling at the wrong people. I don't even want to yell at people anymore. Right. Really. I don't want to fight anybody. I don't want to yeah. yell at anybody. I just, I, I don't know. I don't even know what this album was really to me. Like I hadn't listened to this one yet. I, I'm a real big fan of like the early stuff. Yeah. Not like in a cool way. Like I didn't get into well, it. Well, let's get into that. Why don't you uh, just tell us how you got into them? Uh, when I started Street Fight, I was listening to a lot more political music and and like uh, I got into like Pat the Bunny okay. and some of that kind of like anarcho stuff. And, eh, you know, it, yeah. it, that stuff's like not really for me, like the yeah. folk punk stuff like that shit is not super really for me as i agree yeah and uh i heard reinventing axel rose i i believe brett turned me like my co-host told me to check out reinventing axel rose and uh i listened to it a million gazillion times (laughs) and uh i really like the acoustic album that came out after it and uh weirdly enough uh, and I'm not, I'm, I, I know it's Laura Jane Grace. I please don't be mad at me, but there is a Tom Gable solo album that yeah, I like it's awesome. a lot. I yeah. like it a lot. And I still listen to it almost all the time. I love that album a lot too. Like I really like them and I like them because, uh, I don't know. There's, there's some tongue in cheekness for me liking them. Cause I think the lyrics are sort of funny. Right. Yeah, uh, in, in this music, there's, there's the famous Anna as a stool pigeon. Yeah, uh, that's a great one. When me and Brett first started doing street fight, this never made air. 
uh, it was always just me and him goofing around about the lyrics to that song where he's like literally, well, they are literally reading the police like the news story right. where it's like the lyrics don't sound like lyrics. It just sounds like somebody reading like a police report. <laughs> it's like a Wikipedia article. About it's so funny to me. And like yeah. a lot of the songs have that, that very like, or like that, you know, I think I had the same trajectory as Laura Jane Grace in, in many ways where it was like, I, I saw this injustice and shit in the world and it made me really fucking angry. I didn't know what to do about it. I just did what I know how to do, which is talk. And, uh, um, then something worked out for me. And, yeah. uh, this album seemed like her sort of starting to grapple with the fact that it did happen. And then dealing with the parts of it that you have to deal with after it happens. And uh, to me, this album, I mean, like, I just, I, I felt a lot of kinship when I was listening to right. this album. A lot of it. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, I just, before we get into the album, I just had a few random questions I wanted to ask you. Number one, I don't know who else to ask this because you, you have a teenage daughter. Do you think there's any kids today that are in against me at all? I think they would. I don't know. It's hard to explain, but like, at least with my daughter, um, you know, it's a type of music that she is not. I, I don't know. It's something she would never like. My daughter likes more right. poppy stuff. Yeah. Not like, not like she likes, like, uh, uh, she grew up in a house that was constantly playing, uh, the black lips okay. and, uh, King con and the barbecue show and King con and the shrines and Harlem and like that kind of garage rock revival. She, we were playing a lot of that when she was growing up, a lot of neutral milk hotel and a lot of country music. So my daughter likes like stuff that leans more poppy and right. maybe even country music. Um, there are people at her school I just don't think it's their time yet. I guess I'll say that but with against me. I don't think it's their time yet. I think it'll happen. It takes a long time for these kids to come around to something. Right, it's like, yeah. you think about like just five years ago, kids were wearing like Led Zeppelin t-shirts and it's like, it just, it takes a really long time for them yeah. to be like, I'm going back through this time. You know, kids are getting way into Kate Bush because of some TV show and, right. and stuff like that. It, it kind of happens on their own time. And, and like my philosophy around having a daughter has changed tremendously since she's been a teenager in that, like, you can't control what they're going to listen to and what they like. And uh, you just got to let them fucking like what they like. And then if you think it sucks, keep it to yourself. Unlike my <laughs> parents who would never keep it to themselves. Nope. Yeah. If you think it stinks, keep it to yourself. But like, oh, she likes Amy Winehouse a lot, too. So this isn't like the the I think the type of guitar that's on here and also the new metal or metal guitar. I don't think yeah. she likes that. I think she's more right. accustomed to like the kind of black lips garage rock type stuff gotcha. uh but i'll bet you because of the politics of these albums especially like because of the politics of these albums i'm sure these kids would will they'll find it at yeah. some point and it, they'll grab onto it it just takes time for it's, any also, of that it's also weird what like shows up through stuff like tiktok you know like they 
these kids are finding, and I know we bring it up a bunch in the show, but the mountain goats, they have a, a, t- a TikTok song that went crazy about a, a divorce and all these kids are, are narrating this weird dance to it. And it's just like, how did that happen? I mean, I know that's the, the, that's what going viral means, but it's really strange when some of these songs pop up and you're like, okay, cool. I'm glad you like it, but how the fuck did that even become a thing? My daughter was like singing in her room while she was doing homework or something and I could hear her and she was, it was ICP that she was like going off. On. I I was a big fan of ICP. Yeah. I, I know a lot of their stuff. And I was like, what the fuck are you singing ICP? Like, where are you hearing that? Cause I'm not like playing it or anything like that. And she's like, Oh, it's a TikTok song. And yeah. I was like, just shocked at like, Holy shit. It's uh it's from a song. I remember. Uh, a song that I knew from the great Malenko and uh, it was just, it's wild. I can't believe they, I can't believe how it happens. Uh, I think against me is more likely to happen in that somebody will put them in a TV show that the kids watch yeah, and they'll grab onto it. Yeah. Cause my, my daughter asks me about, about stuff that shows up in tv shows that she doesn't even watch that people at her school watched and then she'll be like uh have you heard of this they were asking me about it and i'll tell her but like that's that's like my connection to teens is is as a dad so they don't tell me shit (laughs) (laughs) all right well along those same lines do you think any shock jocks would enjoy against me no well (laughs) yeah i didn't think so no i mean they don't like I mean, they don't like any sort of punk tinged stuff at all. No. You know what I mean? Like they, they, uh, uh, they're more, they're all just classic rock guys. They're all in their sixties now. Yeah. And, uh, they like the same music my dad likes basically. Uh, I'm trying to think if there, if I could think of, I think if somebody was going to know them, know who the, who they are. It it is uh there's two guys that I could say that would would probably know who they are maybe even like them is uh, Tom Likas uh is very possibly knows who against me are and, and like them because he weirdly has good taste in music at times and um the other person would be like if Howard Stern had been exposed to it at some point by I somebody think around him probably he might been like on his show at some point. I don't know. I do not know if he'd have her on. I don't think he would see her as a big enough celebrity. Oh, yeah, that's is, true. Yeah. I mean, you got to be like Hillary Clinton level. Type <laughs> yeah. People. yeah. You know what I mean? Alec Baldwin. Like, that's true. You got to be real fucking famous to go on Howard Stern because he has to know who you are. And he's one of the most famous people in the world. <laughs> I think if you, I think. I think if you asked Mancow, do you know who against me is? He would be like, absolutely. Yes. And he would just say some shit. But he. I don't think he would like it. Ah, uh, he might too, because he likes a, a pretty eclectic types of like punk and stuff like that. But I think the politics would be like way too much for him. Like they're too, yeah, they're any too of political, the and you just can't be political with those guys. Those guys, if there's one thing they hate, it's it's politics. Yeah, and they're pretty upfront about it. I think that's what um that's what I think. I, I don't think Mancow would like them. I think Mancow maybe would know who they were, and I think he he might even listen to them and be like, "Hey, this is this is kind of rocking." But he would hear what they're singing. Like if you played him "Pints of Guinness Made You Strong," right? He would probably like it. He would think that was okay. really good. I think. All right. Um. So 
I have a theory on the show that I've talked about that when I was in high school was sort of like the end of the new metal boom. And like, it kind of seemed like around 2003, 2004 that like, okay, this stuff is not cool anymore. And like, I need to find a new thing to be into. And like, from there I got into punk and like against me. And so I have developed this theory called the new metal to folk punk pipeline. And I think a lot of people had a similar trajectory and I've been thinking about this more. And I think what it is, is like, if you like new metal and you were exposed to new metal, I think you're, you're like more willing to be accepting of like folk punk, which isn't anything like new metal, but it's also very like weird and easily mocked. And most people hear about it and go like, no, I would never listen to that ever. It's kind of a goof type of music, folks. Right. Sure. sure. Yeah. Sure. It's just funny. It's, you know what? When young people try to be political, it's always funny. It, right. It's all, it's never not going to be funny and goofy. And yeah. uh, you can't be mad at them no. for doing what generation after generation of young folk artist has done. So, yeah. yeah. And new metal was more of a, you know, who cares? So like I don't care about nothing, you know. My parents hated, hated new metal. Mine like, too. They could not stand it that I was listening to that. They were so pissed. And uh it's so funny because my dad um he hated any kind of heavy music. He only liked like shit like Stevie Ray Vaughn and like <laughs> yeah and like uh he liked hank williams jr a lot mm. and he like fuck uh, yeah that's my hank. <laughs> i love hank williams but like, I'm a big he, hank williams he absolutely guy. loved guns and roses that was like his absolute favorite but that's anything he anything heavier than that like i remember i got into metallica when i was like eight or nine and he was like i just can't believe you're listening to this this is, this is terrible yeah. Metallica, I got my uncle gave me a Metallica tape when I was a kid, and Justice for All when it came out. He was like, I heard it's a good one. So he gave me that. And, uh, I oh, didn't really cool. think, I don't think I understood it at all. Yeah. But like, um, you know, uh, I ended up getting into Metallica like not until like last year. So, <laughs> or 2020, not last year. So I haven't even been into them for that long. Uh, I listened to Master of Puppets all the way through the first time right at the beginning of the pandemic. So, Oh, wow. That's yeah. a great album. Yeah, I stayed away from like the real metal stuff because it wasn't new. Like, Yeah, I'm like not I, like a Matt huge metal guy myself either. Um, I do like Metallica a lot. And uh, I know all the guys in Against Me except for Laura said that they were uh, super into Metallica. So, Yeah, I mean, that makes a lot of sense, actually. Yeah. Uh, one final thing I want to ask you about, cause this is a band that we talk about on every episode. I can't imagine you've heard of them, but, uh, maybe I can try to get you to listen to them is a band called apes of the state. Have you ever heard of this band? I've never heard of them. No. Okay. They, <laughs> they are like a folk punk band, but not, not in like the traditional way that you would think it's, um, I don't know. It's very interesting. It's kind of like emo a little bit. And there's a lot of like violins and banjos and stuff. It's, I don't know. It's heavier on the folk than the punk for sure. I, okay. I'll, uh, I'll have I'll, <laughs> apes of the state. 
it's a little bit of what you were talking about with like against me too, where it's like, you know, it's a little bit tongue in cheek and like, um, they're not being like super serious all the time. I don't know. I, I like it a lot. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, in, in my time doing what I do, anarchists are extremely, extremely serious people. So the folk punk stuff scares me. I'm just afraid right. to even get involved with it. <laughs> Apes of the State really is not political, really. I mean, I guess they okay. have a couple political songs. Most of their songs are about like breakups and relationships and stuff. I don't know. They're okay. pretty cool. But I'll, uh, I'll put them in the old Spotify. All right. I awesome. hope they're on there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because that's how I listen to them all the time. So they're definitely on there. They're uh, <laughs> right. Yeah. All right, I think that's all the questions I had before we get into it. So let's talk about the album that we came here to talk about today, which is New Wave, which came out on Sire Records on July 10th, 2007. And on this album, Against Me is Laura Jane Grace on vocals, James Bowman on guitar, Andrew Seward on bass, and Warren Oaks on drums. And the producer, the first time they're working with him, is a guy named Butch Vig who is a very famous guy in the world of music. He worked with, well, he was the drummer for Garbage. He worked with bands like L7, Green Day, Smashing Pumpkins, Sonic Youth. But of course, he most famously produced the Nevermind album from Nirvana. And uh, he was pretty much their first pick as a producer, and he agreed to work with them. So they were really excited to be working with him. Uh, Brian, you got any thoughts about Butch Vig? No, I wasn't into like garbage or anything. I wasn't into like the real grunge scene until like a lot later either. Like I was into hip hop when grunge was kicking off. Right. So I'm just always in the wrong place at the wrong time. It's <laughs> no. all the wrong music. I mean, I was never a big grunge guy outside of Nirvana. Obviously, never mind. It's like a great album. Garbage. I just never super into that. Sonic Youth is like a band that I like. Every like four or five years, I'll go like, no, I like Sonic Youth. Like I'm into cool music. Like I definitely like Sonic Youth and I'll put them on and I'll listen to like three fourths of a song and go like, there's no fucking way I'm listening anymore. This so Cut this off. So yeah, people uh, have tried to turn me on to Sonic Youth in the past. And I just, I don't know. I, I, I give them another. I like the poppier stuff. I guess I don't like experimental noise stuff. No, That's I'm not, not a fan of that Brian stuff at all either. No. Austin, what about you? I think a lot of those bands hit me just at the right time. You know, it was, and you know, you had friends. I had friends that were obsessed with Nirvana. I was in high school in 94. So, I mean, it was just like, that was, oh, yeah. that was the time. So yeah, that definitely hit me in the right place. But I'm not a big Sonic Youth guy either. I just never, I don't know. I, I just never hit with me. And I've tried. I keep going back like you, and it just doesn't. I go like, yeah, no, 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 no. I like this, but I don't. No, I just no. think I should like this. You know, yeah, like I right. fucking, yeah. I live in Brooklyn, and I should fucking love this. Music say they're good, so right. I have to think this is good. Yeah, exactly. I, was I like, mean, I ran around telling everybody how much I love the Beatles for a really long time. And like, <laughs> I'm like, I don't like, like no. the Beatles. <laughs> they're not a band that they're not for me. I And I'm not against classic rock. I like the Rolling Stones a lot. Like I, and I used to tell people like the Rolling Stones suck and the Beatles are good. I didn't listen to either one of them very much, <laughs> you know? And then once yeah. I finally decided to listen to them, I was like, oh, damn, it's like the other way around. Yeah, yeah. 
for sure. Wrong. wrong. I, I think it's going to be interesting because you don't see, I mean, I work with, with younger people. I mean, it's, I work with all age people, but there's a bunch of, you know, young 20 something, you know, folk and kids. And when they listen to like classic rock, you know, with big quote marks, they never talk about the Beatles. They never talk about the stones. Like the first, one of the first bands they talk about is queen, which is just blows my mind at how much that like is going to go away, I think. And people are going to reevaluate these bands and it's not going to always be about the Beatles after a while. You know, the Beatles and Rolling Stones. I think the issue is that's so long ago. Like when I was growing up, that's stuff that your parents liked. Now that's stuff that like your fucking grandparents liked. You know what I mean? You're not going to be, that's like fucking like, I'm trying to even think of like what music my grandfather would have even been listening to, but like, you know, it's as far away as like forties country music was to me or whatever. Oh yeah. I, I think though, one of the things is that like everything is still sort of based on, well, rock is based on that stuff, but like, you know, if, it, if it's rock music, that stuff is always going to be relevant. It just, you wonder if rock music is always going to be around you know, relevant, I yeah. guess. Yeah, but I, mean, I, I do think-, think, I do think like just from knowing my kid, the thing that we don't, people our age maybe don't quite understand and haven't really picked up on yet is that they listen to music in a completely different way than we did. Like they consume it. Absolutely. They, yeah. they have access to all of the recorded music yeah, right. of like kind of history or whatever, not literally, but they have access to like all of this music. Right. And like we did it and we wasted our, we had to figure it out on our own. Like, Okay, I read in a magazine yeah. that this right. album is really good. So I'm going to go buy the album and hopefully it's good and I'll listen to the whole thing. For yeah. them, it is like you listen to a playlist named after a mood or right. like like you know, uh I could see them getting just as likely getting way into like fog hat. Right. Just because <laughs> right. like they have access to their whole catalog. We didn't have yeah. access to like these people's catalogs, you know. Like no. I said, with fog hat. The only song we heard was Slow Ride. Right. We don't even know what else they fucking do. None of us. <laughs> no. And Bob. Yeah. We know like five or six yeah. songs. Like I think these kids are just as likely to just create a whole new version of classic classic rock history which i think is something that has needed to be done for and, a very right. long fucking time and that i mean that was kind of my point we're talking about like them listening to bands like queen or you know i can't wait for bachman turner overdrive to go back and make platinum again you know over, it's kind of like, the same thing with like um with like early punk if you if you look at it like <clears throat> obviously the sex pistols have pretty much kind of like pissed away their their legacy and like whereas like in the 80s and 90s they were seen as like this legendary band. And now I think, you know, stuff like the clash and, you know, x-ray specs and the more like experimental stuff is like more highly regarded and is like stood at the test of time better because they did like more interesting things. And I just think that like, it's kind of the same thing. Like if you look at modern music, like queen had a much bigger influence on the kind of popular music that exists now than the Beatles or the Rolling Stones did. I mean, so I think it's just more accessible. Yeah. It's more fun to listen to a lot. Of Absolutely. Well, yeah. I would have to say 
the Stones fucking rule so much. Stones fucking but rule, man. I love it's because stuff. I am really, really, really into heroin music. Like, <laughs> I gotcha. basically all my favorite bands are like really into heroin, and sure. uh, the Rolling Stones are were really into hair. I like their like exile on main street, yep. uh, sticky fingers, uh, let it bleed. Kind of. I like that period of that band so fucking much. I, okay. I mean, I still check it out all the time. Uh, I, I like the stuff that was about like, I, I don't know. I like the, I like Lou Reed and, and, yep. and like velvet Velvets. underground and yep. stuff like that. Like that's the kind of shit that I get into as classic rock, you know, David Bowie, uh, like that whole side of it. Uh, and then I go right into like the early proto punk with like the dead boys and, and stuff like that. And the stooges, I, I love mm -hmm. that shit. And like, it's almost like in my mind, I've been building an alternative, not not alternative like the word that they use right. in advertising, <laughs> but in my mind, an alternative version of classic rock that is not like an alternative version of classic rock that is not the same as like Coles, where they sell the T-shirts and shit right. like that. Like sure. my yeah. version of classic rock is very different from their version. I think that's always been a fucking thing too. I mean, I fucking love question mark and the Mysterians. Like, I think that band is like, I don't even know why people don't even talk about them constantly. And, and like, uh, I just, that's the kind of stuff that I see as like, I mean, those nuggets compilations that oh you can buy God. both uh, of them too. vinyl. I just, I love all that stuff. And like that stuff is like looked at as pop one hit wonder shit. And it's like, fuck you, you know, well, some like of it, this is good stuff. Some of it's too. I mean, at least with the nugget stuff, it, it's weird too, because most of those, a lot of those bands got into prog rock. Like that's kind of their progression. And yeah. so they ended up in that. And a lot of people are a little sour on prog rock, but man, I think, I think the Velvet Underground are just as influential a band as the Rolling Stones were. I yeah. really do. I think they just influenced a completely different generation of musicians, but I think it was there like that. They are there with the Stones and, and the Beatles, you know, for whatever you think about them. All right. Well, I, mean, I, I even wanna... like the doors. I even, I'm a doors guy. I'm a guy in 2022 that'll stick up for the fucking door. <laughs> I'm, I'm not a doors guy, I have to you say. Maybe braver than I, me. <laughs> I, I can't get into that. I love them. I fucking love I hated them for a long time. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, it was just like, God, the doors fucking. Sometimes rule. it clicks, man. Sometimes it just like weird shit. It'll just click in your head at a certain age. <laughs> and you just be like, wow, I never gave this a shot, but now I kind of like it. Yeah. All right. Well, as far as Butch Vig went, he had uh, <laughs> that's what we were talking about <laughs> about a major influence on this album. Uh, and his biggest advice to Laura was just write as many songs as you possibly can. And so she ended up writing about thirty songs, and they decided to keep ten of them. Um, this album charted at number fifty-seven on the Billboard two hundred, and it sold about a hundred thousand copies which the band was thrilled with. They could not believe it. They had never sold that many albums before. Uh, the label was pretty upset. They wanted to sell at least 500,000 copies, and really they wanted a million. Uh, and the thing that Laura talked about this time was like, the label's really blowing smoke up their ass of like, you guys are going to be so huge. You're going to be, and her just kind of not, not being sure about that. At the time, there was kind of some tension based off that. 
uh, because the label wanted them to be um, bigger than they were. And one thing Laura talked about in the book at this time, uh, we talked about on the last episode, they were really hopeful when they signed with Sire and they really liked Seymour Stein and all the bands that had been on Sire. Laura talked about being a huge fan of Madonna, the Ramones and their placements in particular. And almost as soon as they signed that contract, they realized, oh no, we've really fucked up and we're screwed now. And uh, almost right away, there was just tension and fighting within the band. Uh, they were really not getting along with the, at this time. And also just like with the label, just like wasn't really happy with like, um, they kind of felt like you guys are demanding all this creative freedom, but then like, okay, you, you didn't sell 500,000 copies. What happened? Yeah. It was hard to sell 500,000 copies for Pete's Especially sake. in 2007 when, like, nobody was Everybody selling was albums anymore. Like, that yeah. was right when the bottom fell out. And that's one of the things she talked about is, like, they didn't really get it yet that, like, it was kind of over. Yeah. And, like, I mean, go ahead. Look at that Untouchables. Yeah. Uh, by Corn, like, the, the, uh, like it was at the tail end of the whole thing and it's the most expensive album ever made. <laughs> like, and it, it like, I think it costs over a million dollars to record. Wow. Yeah. And, uh, it didn't, it, it didn't sell enough copies to justify that right. amount because it was too late. Like you yeah. just, if like they, the new metal, the new metal era was the end of the record industry i think the the like that was the end of it that was the last big hurrah for rock music and then rock music was never going to be back it's never going to sell millions and millions and there's never going to be another rock band that we're all talking about all the time as much as i'd love it to be like ty siegel or something like that <laughs> where we can just like really go nuts to it i just yeah. don't think it's ever going to i think rock yeah, music dies with us yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think you're right. But I also feel like around this time, it was also just physical media wasn't doing what. Oh, that was big. And, yeah. and just like the, the pop and, and against me was not pop punk, but any punk band that got signed on a major label was riding that sort of pop punk wave. And that was over too. like yeah. the sort of emo era was dead. Like the bands that were hot at that time were more like the screamo hardcore stuff or like poppier stuff like Punk had kind of had its moment in the sun and and they kind of got in like right as it was over. Against me has like a real they broke it like maybe the most sort of unfortunate time. Absolutely. I, yep. I do I I I think it's interesting because like I don't think I had ever even heard of them until 2011. Nobody had ever mentioned this band to me. It wasn't coming up in magazines, which I think is also an underrated thing that people don't talk about as much anymore. It's like the magazine industry's dead. Right. And that's yep. how a lot of us were finding what we liked. And uh, kids now are sort of off to fend for themselves because they're not checking rollingstone.com yeah. <laughs> to find their music. <laughs> you yeah. know, they're not checking. So like, like all of those avenues kind of dried up. And again, like when you say they didn't sell 500,000 copies, that is like what what ended up happening at that time was just like you would have been better off just 
making an indie album at that time. Yeah. And I think, I think that's, I haven't finished the book. Uh, I'm sort of reading along in the timeline that we're in, but she sort of realized like a few months in of like, you know, maybe like we wouldn't have got like a big payoff right away if we had stayed indie, but like probably in the long term, like they, there was a lot of fan backlash to this album and to them signing to a major label in general. She talks about just being constantly harassed by fans at shows and just people just being just furious about this. And I mean, me and Austin have kind of talked about it before of like, we're not really like big believers in like selling out and all that. But uh, Brian, I know one thing you have mentioned uh, on your show before about against me is that when you make an album like reinventing Axel Rose, you kind of have to assume like you are going to get called a sellout when you inevitably do something else. Yeah. I, I mean, I always felt, I've always felt like even with us, it's like you just go through your life like in public, I guess, would would like you're you're going through your life, you're doing this thing, people are into it, they really like it, and you're trying all you're trying to do is live and 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 make enough right. money to live your life and keep doing it. So you know, people don't understand like the the money situation behind this stuff and people don't understand like i i how many these aren't crust punks that were calling them fucking sellouts these were fucking people who were living comfortably in apartments or at their parents house or or something like that well she does them, she know? does say that a lot of times it was like the crust punks and the anarchists and stuff who were really uh vocal and uh upset and uh, yeah they're upset at us too all the time right they're i just mean not anymore people. they're like, they went away they they fucking i mean but one time we checked the email address we hadn't had the email address for the website which was something we never look at and there were a bunch of really angry anarchists like you guys don't even and it's like i know yeah. trust me i fucking know <laughs> I, I don't want to fucking i don't want to talk about it i don't yeah. care you know yeah. what I mean? I'm not a, I'm, I'm a bad anarchist, I guess, whatever right. I am, I I'm going through a journey in my life. And if you don't want to go on that journey, then don't go on the fucking journey. But my? that's what I think of it against me. And that this yeah. album really, that's where I feel a kinship. It's like, sure. I'm fucking on a journey, you know? Yeah. And if you want to go on that journey with me, that's fucking really great. And I'm glad that we're going to be on that journey, but I'm not going to like, just do political songs you know, this is how I read into her. It's like, I'm this not going to just word do, for word what she's talking about. It. I'm not going to just do political songs because you want me to do political songs. Right. I'm going to do the songs that I, that ring true to me. Like, wouldn't it be better if I fuck, wouldn't it be better if I don't believe in it? I don't just say it and try to get, your money out of you. I'm not right. trying to get your money out of you. I've said this a thousand times to people who have gotten mad at me. Don't fucking listen. I don't care. I like, don't, I truly fuck off. If yeah. you think that like, if this is what's going to go on, right. If you're going to say I'm a sellout, I'm not good politically. And look, I'm not, I'm, I'm none of those things. Uh, I'm a human. I'm a person that just does what they do. And like, it's hard though, for people who don't have like a public facing persona thing, it's hard for them to understand 
that you are just doing what you do right. and that like you are just like at this time of my life, I really felt like this. And at this time yeah. of my life, I really felt like this. And like, I'm just going through phases of my life. And if you want to ride, uh, I will make it fun and, and, and shit like that. You know, we got a lot of grief for hanging around with the Chapo guys. And it's like, but we've been friends with those guys since 2010. Like it would be right. even worse if we were just like, we're not going to talk to those people anymore. Like, what does that make us? You yeah. know, so well, and they definitely get the um, the weirdos online who like attack them for like having a successful Patreon and and that kind of thing, and like, oh, they're all just rich now, and like, yeah, I don't know. you know that's what? Just, I, just I think it's funny to me. I think anybody that doesn't create things, no matter what it is, like a painting, an album, a podcast, whatever, whatever it is, doesn't appreciate how fucking hard it is to make money off of that. Like how hard it is sure. to make that into a career or any sort of revenue stream. And, and, and I just, I, I think it's, you're held to this like unattainable standard where you have to be true to the art or the creation, but not actually make any money off of it. You know, people think right. your work is worthless. Like your, right. your work and your time doing whatever it is you're doing that they're consuming is absolutely fully worthless to them. And right. they shouldn't have to, they shouldn't have, you shouldn't make money doing it. And that's just, I mean, then it doesn't happen. If I'm working I mean, my, a real fucking uh, job, I'm not doing a million podcasts a week. You know, my stance has always been like my political beliefs are whatever they are, but we don't live in that reality. We live under capitalism and like people have to get by and like being an artist is just as like legitimate as any other job. It's just, you know, I don't know. Yeah. I think it's great that people are making a living doing their stuff now. Me yeah, too. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I always thought like, and we'll get into how I felt about this album when I was a youth and, and when it came out, but uh, as I've gotten older, like, I'm always just like, look, man, if somebody's not making money, like they're just going to stop doing it. Like me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. So many people have stopped doing stuff yeah. even when they are making a little bit of money. Yeah, I mean, they talked about at this, like Laura talked about in the book at this time, Andrew and Warren both were like really wanting to leave the band. Like they were kind of done with it. They're like, we signed this contract. We got this. We got paid. We've got houses now. Why are we on tour all the time? Mm -hmm. And uh, Laura just felt like they needed to constantly be on tour and trying to get bigger and bigger. And um, she did say with all the sellout accusations that one person, who was extremely supportive uh, was Bruce Springsteen reached out to her and uh, left her a very nice message and just gave her a lot of support and basically just said, you know, don't worry about what people are saying, like what you're doing is real and authentic and just keep it up. And uh, so I just thought I'd point that out that, uh, I mean, it's kind of crazy that somebody like that famous would reach out to, kind of an unknown band at that time and just like offer some support. So Laura said it really meant a lot to her at the time. Yeah. yeah. Well, he would know too. So. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So at this time, she's not doing well emotionally. Uh, almost as soon as they sign a sire, she relapses. Um, and like the drug use is actually like even worse. She's really heavy into cocaine at this time. She talked about the first big tour they did with Sire was with Mastodon. 
who are sort of notorious as being like a big party band. And uh, that being pretty much the end of her sobriety at the time. So uh, that's sort of what was going on with the band. Um, before we get into like what critics thought and everything, let's just go ahead and go. Austin, I feel like you have not talked as much this episode. So why don't you go first and tell me like, what were your overall thoughts about this album? I'm going to be totally upfront. Uh, this was the first album that I actually found myself with one of the songs caught in my head. Okay. All right. Like I'll listen to the albums and I, I like them. I listen to them a bunch, take notes because I've never heard them before. But today, all fucking day, new wave, the song new wave was stuck in my head. It was, okay. It was, Night, it was driving me crazy because you, you know, anytime a song stuck in your head, but I was like, you know what? I must really like this thing. Brian, what'd you think of it? It's good. I, I also had a couple of the, a stop is kind of a catchy tune that had me just kind of, but, uh, the protest song, what is it? White people for peace. Yeah. Uh, that's the one I, I, I really dug, but I think it's cause it sounds a lot more like reinventing Axl Rose type stuff. So yeah. But I had it. Yeah, I had that one stuck in my head all day. I like it because it's short. I like short albums. Yeah. I think long albums are fucking stupid. Yeah. As a guy who does a podcast where I review new metal albums, like listening to a full hour of one band is just miserable. I can't (laughs) believe I ever wanted that. Um, But uh, overall, I liked it. I actually, I, I had never heard this album. Okay. Uh, I couldn't even put it context. I couldn't contextualize. Like I had to look up when it came out because I couldn't figure out in context, uh, the stuff I knew and right. had heard, you know? And I, and yeah. I, okay. I think I, I think I like this better than, uh, what is it? Eternal cowboy or something. Yeah. Like as that. the eternal cowboy. Yeah. I think I like album. it. I think I like it better than that. Okay. Um, I always have a soft spot in my heart for uh, I reinventing Axl Rose, and and I think this album is like that, but like kind of uh, cleaned up a lot. Okay. Like, yeah. Yeah. I think, I think actually, negative to me. Well, I, I see. <laughs> I I didn't. I I kind of came into this with no emotional attachment to any of these, and I gotta right. say, out of all of them, after just you know recently listening for the first time, this is absolutely my favorite album they've done okay, so cool. far. Hands down. All right. I mean, awesome. Not even I um I really thought it was well paced. Like it goes by, the songs are in a good order. It really flows well. It's got a good energy. There's a there's a couple songs that I don't love here and we'll get into that. I thought it was their best sounding album, obviously in terms of production. I also thought it was like the most lyrically deep and interesting. She's really talking about like a wide variety of subjects here. Um, I will have to say, though, I liked Axel and Eternal Cowboy better than this, but I think I like this better than Searching for Former Clarity. Um, but yeah, I, I still like the first two albums better than this. And uh, it's funny that that's how it worked out because I read a lot of reviews and they were extremely mixed. And basically the people who were like me who were into against me before this came out, did not like it, thought it was not as good as any of their previous stuff, weren't into it. And anyone who had never really heard them and was just sort of a music critic for a major magazine or something, thought it was like really fresh and interesting and 
they were into it. So it got pretty good reviews. It, but uh, like I said, they were mixed because there's like you would see people give it like you know five out of five, ten out of ten, and then you'd also see people giving it like threes and fours because like it. I talked about like um, in the past for each song, I like to read the lyrics and then look at comments. Uh, and with this album, the comments were just unreadable. It's everything is about they sold out. I can't believe they made an album that sound like this. What happened to the anarchist stuff? I mean, so it's just like every song was like that. And it's like, okay, that's not what this, any of these songs are about. Yeah. Like, I think it makes me so angry when people presume to think of what you should be making. Like right, there's something yeah. about, yeah. there's something about how people will say, no, this is what you were supposed to make. And you're like, right. the reason <clears throat> I hate saying this, I don't want to say this, but I'm going to say it. The reason that I have me and Brett and me and John and, and other, and me specifically have been as successful as I was, have been able to be is because I know that once you're asking for it, it's too fucking late. Yeah. Like once, once it's something that like is the like, wow, this has turned into a genre now. It, you're late. You missed it. You, yep. you have to be there before it happens always. And like, that's this album to me is very much like, I, I think like lyrically, she's saying some really fucking cool stuff if you're like a creator but also like is confrontational with the fans is yeah. confrontational with the industry period and you just don't you you don't see people who are confrontational with the fans ever no you don't <laughs> see people who are like i know you want a political album i don't want to do one yeah and like a lot of these <laughs> right. songs feel like that and i'm the same way i am yeah. exact i did I've been doing a podcast for 13 years, the same podcast, and it goes through phases and, uh, it, you know, as far as being a leftist, it is like baked into my personality and stuff like that. But like, I'm always going to evolve that show. The right. reason it got to where it got is because we were early. Like we knew we were the beginning of a, of a, a sort of thing. We were the, the first in a line of projects that just took off, you know? Right. And, and you don't want to make the same podcast for 11 years, 13 no. years. You don't want to do it every day, every, every week. Every, no, and, that's you know, not, and to me, that's not interesting to listen to. No. Like, what I like about Against Me is that, you know, they did something else on every album. Uh, and uh, we talked about Metallica earlier, and I love Metallica. And the thing I've always loved about Metallica is Metallica has some albums that just suck. They're not good. Like, they're bad albums. Yeah. But to me, that is more interesting to make a bad album yep. where you just try to do shit that didn't sound anything like any of your other songs. That's far more interesting than just like, yeah, I guess they could have made Injustice for All 15 times. And like, I guess that would have been cool. But like, and that probably would have made like the hardcore fans happy. But like to me, and I'm sure to them as an artist, like that just kind of gets boring after a while. Well, this album is outright confrontational with the fans. Oh, absolutely. Of, of the yeah. band. <laughs> yeah. And I love that. I, as a person who has fans, <laughs> I just, there's something about it that like, you know, 
I don't like to be told what to do or what to make. And uh, it's so obvious when you follow what I do, because even on the Patreon for my show, it's series. So I don't even fucking, I don't, I do a different podcast every six or seven weeks on there. I invent uh, or create a whole new podcast series. You know what I mean? And like, I like doing that, but sometimes some of them aren't as good as other ones. Cause I'm trying to do something new or different, right. but sometimes I hit, sometimes they hit and it's like, Holy shit. You know, we, we, I found one, it hit and, and Shocktober is a good <laughs> example. Like a lot of people, I mean, including my partner uh, in the show was like, who would want to listen to that? And, uh, a lot of people didn't think that that was something that people would be interested in. And, uh, it blew up. That thing fucking blows up every year in October. That thing blows up all October. People are, you know, messaging me and asking me about it and stuff like that. But then there are times where I did American podcast, which is just a a podcast about kid rock and people weren't talking about that. As it was airing at all. I did five sure. weeks of a podcast about just Kid Rock and it didn't hit. But then I did Heat O'Brien where I was watching uh, real sex and talking about my sex life and people yeah. fucking love that. So like people don't think of music in this. Like that's how I think of music too. Right. With right. Artists. I also think that people are allowed <laughs> this is gonna sound weird you're allowed to make bad stuff yeah like, I don't sure absolutely and i don't understand why everything has to be a hit or, you have or, to make bad shit you yeah, have to. yeah it's part of the process yeah and it and if you're if you're especially with this band they seem like a band that was just like cranking them out you know it was like this because yeah. i think the writing style indicates to me that You know, again, like you said, write as many songs as you can. I see that in in the music and and they're just putting out as much stuff as they can. And I'm the same way. My shit goes live to tape. You know, I release the I record the podcast at 1130 in the morning sometimes and have it released by two. Um, I have production staff. So. (laughs) (laughs) One of the things Laura talked about that was frustrating to her at the time was like, we made our first album in one day. We made our second album in a week. We made our third one in a month. This one took us six months to record, and then it took them another six months to put it out. And it just like she got just really bored and frustrated with the process of like it taking so long because to her, you know, she's constantly writing and and all that stuff. So I made a TV show. <laughs> I made a TV show in 2021 last year. And I started writing it in 2009. You know, we we started writing a fucking thing in 2019. We got it written. We filmed the whole thing. Now we're waiting for it. And sometimes I'll sit and think about it. Not often. But sometimes I'll sit and think <laughs> about it and just be like, I don't even know if I like that anymore. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like, what is this going to be on the other end? I, I, I think with podcasting and with the type of stuff that they're doing, it's like, I feel like it's it's way better 
that you get it done as fast as you possibly can because if you sit on it, Right. You're not going to fucking want it to come out. Yeah. You know, sure. it's going to be a negative feeling for it to come out. If you just sit and sit on it, like right. Nick, the, the means TV, the, the person who's putting it together and, and all that stuff for the TV show was like, Hey man, the show's really good. Do you want to take a look at it? And I was like, uh, no, nope. I don't, just I actually it. don't want to see it. Cause if I see it, I'll ask you not to release it. Right. And he was like, okay, uh, fair enough. And I was like, all right. Uh, and, and I think like there is a tendency in people who do creative ventures to close, want to close their eyes and knock it out and get it done and, and move then, on. Yes. And get it out there. Yep. Cause you will, ne again, you'll never release the stuff right. if it's up to you, you know, well, I think whole or Google you could, drive full of ideas. But you, but you see, like, but I, I mean, for me anyway, I get lost in like noodling and making it perfect, which is why I can't edit this shit. Like I can't, I have to have someone else do it because if I sat there and listened to this thing, I'd pick every pause. I'd pick, I couldn't, it just, it, I'd be stuck and it would never be released. Yeah. I've never done really. podcasts that never got released. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think another thing too, and uh, it's definitely tougher now with social media and everything, but it's always been tough for artists. Is like, I don't think people should be held accountable for everything they've ever said for like their entire life like you can change your mind about something and like it doesn't mean that you didn't believe that at the time it's just like people I mean, change and grow and like people's politics change and like that's just normal someone like i just i just can't imagine like imagine writing something when you were like 17 years old like laura did and then like you have to be held accountable for that for like the rest of your life. Yeah. And you're it's supposed like, to keep making that. Right. It's like, That's I don't I agree do. with anything I said when I was 17. Like everything I said was stupid and wrong. So like, you know? Yeah. No. I, and, and you know, it's the same thing with like the, the, the politics stuff on, on, on street fight becoming less and less of a thing was that in 2011, I felt like, things looked really shitty and that like nobody was commenting on how shitty things looked, you know, how, how shitty it is to like live in the world in 2011 because Obama was, you know, running for president at the time. And people were like really happy with him and like all this, all this great stuff. And I was like, well, I think it fucking sucks. And I was angry. And when I started doing my podcast, I was pissed and I was like, being as angry and ranty and stuff like that after I'm doing it for like three or four years, maybe even five, I go like this. There's not going to be any more periods of my show where there's not a joke every two minutes. Right. Like, and literally I, they don't have to be like hits or anything like that. But I think of, I, I think of a podcast, like a balloon that is, my podcast specifically not i don't think everybody has to follow this rule but my podcast is a little less focused than a lot of other podcasts that are out there like street fight is less focused it could be about anything really and it's really about our personalities at this point right. um, but i think of it like a balloon that like as as you talk and you give facts uh and and you're not doing any jokes it blows up and blows up blows up 
And then my goal is every few minutes just to pop the fucking balloon and start over again. Like right. you ratchet up tension until the balloon fills up and then you <laughs> pop it with a fucking right. joke. And then you yeah. ratchet up tension and then pop it with a fucking joke. And like, I just, that the show completely changed at that point when I started being less serious and I wouldn't yeah. let the show go down a serious road. And then I ended up telling Brett, my partner, that I had been doing that because I don't think he, you know, he he didn't notice. And he was like, I'm going to do that, too. And that's how we got where we are now, where right. it's a comedy show. It's goofy. We we talk about serious stuff in an extremely goofy and stupid way. And like and it's about living in in the world. But if you had heard those earliest shows that's not what they were and they were not fucking good. And I can guarantee you that Laura Jane Grace doesn't want to ever play reinventing Axl Rose again. <laughs> I, I think she has a pretty, um, <clears throat> I think she looks at it pretty fondly. And maybe um, baby I'm an anarchist actually would be yeah. the one that like is, <laughs> sure. is like the it's, I, it's weird because some of those songs like, when you're older, you look back on it and you're like, Ugh, why, why was I so serious? And reinventing Axl Rose is extremely for, yeah. for all the fun. I, it, they do work hard to make it fun, but it yeah. is this extremely self-serious album. Yeah. And, I and think, like, uh, I don't think they want to be that. No, you can, I mean, and I think too, along the lines of what you're talking about, like what makes podcasts like yours and Chapo and, and other podcasts like successful is like, things are pretty miserable like and everybody knows that and like to just have somebody come on and go like hey here's this horrible thing that's happening now like that's not like i'm aware that right. things are not going great we all live in the same like, world if again you have to make jokes about it like that's the only way to get through this kind of stuff like things are pretty bleak and like if you can't laugh about it i i don't know what you're supposed to do other than just panic all the time which i just i don't have time to do i'm busy i think you're documenting life too not necessarily just podcast but i well, also and day-to-day -day life is political yeah but I think with even against me, like they are just doing sort of a history of their. Sure, their she's writing about her experiences. Yep. Yeah. I mean, all right, let's get into the songs. Uh, <laughs> I I don't know. I, this has been great. But, Brian, I just worry that we're wasting too much of your time. I do it uh, every time I do a podcast. They're always like uh we're going a really long time and i'm like yeah i talk a lot that's why <laughs> no, that's great that's awesome that's why i wanted you here so okay as long as you're cool we're cool let's get in to song number one which is new wave and uh austin since you said you really like this one why don't you start I, what'd you think about it just it yeah, this is one that was stuck in my head all day uh i think that we hit a lot of the the big broad strokes of this album but i really think it's the you know this is like hey we're on a big label now love it or not this is what we're right. we're, we're gonna be you know it's also yeah. you know sort of hints at how much the internet is going to change music you know this is like i think it's also like a rallying cry to like the bands in the audience should be working together not against right. each other right, right right we need to demand better art together yeah not in opposition to each other and I think that's one thing Laura has always felt really strongly about is there shouldn't be such a huge division 
between the audience and the band because we're all part of it. We're making the music together. If you just play to an empty room, that's, you know. And she also like talks about, I mean, I think there's a lot about how accessible music's going to be when it's all online, you know, and this is like Spotify was released a year before this album came out. It didn't hit big, but you got like the, the, you know, iPod, everybody had an iPod. It was like a 2001 that came out. So, I mean, it's like now anybody can make, music and and find an audience for it so why aren't we doing more of that absolutely brian what do you think it's good i i i like the stuff in it about i've always talked about this but i i wish more people wrote uh just what they thought and what they believe but i think people are afraid to do that because they're afraid people will make fun of them or a lot of people i think are like why should i do that nobody's going to read it Right. And right. I, 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 the, that, that lyric where it's like, uh, uh, reaching out for some kind of connection, like that really is like, I did years and years of podcasts to like a hundred people or less. And like, uh, you know, I always wondered like, is anybody ever going to fucking hear this thing? You know, maybe I'm just doing this for myself when you go to bed at, when I would go to bed at night and like, maybe I'm just going to do this for myself, but that was just how long it was going to take. And uh, I like to hear somebody bringing up like there is a weird loneliness where you're like, I'm recording this thing. Uh, Is anybody ever going to hear it? Yeah, I really like the lyrics on this one. But as far as the song itself, like I'm not big on it. We talked about like the first three albums, the opener always hits you really hard. And I thought there was probably better songs you could have picked for the first song here. But I, I do. I do like the song, but uh, it's not one of my favorites on the album. Fair enough. Anything else either you want to say about that one? No. All right. I like it when they have an album title song. There you go. And it's the first song, which is like, yeah, okay. You're really throwing it out there. Cool. All right. Song number two is called Up the Cuts. And uh, I really like this song a lot. Laura loves to just get on a song and just start talking shit. <laughs> just being like, Hey, here's what you're doing wrong, buddy. And just I, go ahead. I, uh, I found this to sound like holiday by green day. Okay. Like that's the only note I have is, uh, uh, reminds me of holiday by green day, which would be three years after green day. So right. it's probably not the case, but uh, it's got the same kind of guitar. Okay. Yeah. yeah a little bit. I dug the, uh, the chorus. I was really something, yeah. you know, the, are you restless like me? I just, I was like, that's, that's a, that really, it gets you, it gets you something. She just fucking nails the chorus. And it's like, so just, you want to wave your fist and, and it's, it's a good time. That's what I, yeah, I dug and it. And this one is more directly what we've sort of been talking about all episode of like her just feeling like music getting it's getting too generic and it also is like becoming disposable and they're not really sure like what their place is in the in the record industry and uh and i think you know i think they really felt like okay if we can come in here and do this great album and really break out then all these bands can follow us and we can sort of create this new scene and that I don't know if that really worked out, but I think that was sort of the intention. <laughs> I also think it's like uh, 
we make all our money on touring. Right. So I don't give a rat's ass if this label gets their album. Sure. <laughs> like right. I don't care about that. This is I want a tour. Like that's basically the sort of we if we make all our money off tour and merch sales. Yeah. Then why am I cutting in this record label and stuff like that? And I think when you right. start looking at how music is released now, where it's just like not really albums coming out, some bands still do albums, but it's mostly just singles. Like, oh, hey, we wrote three songs. Yeah, here they right. are on yeah. Spotify today. Yeah. Um. All right, Austin. Anything else you want to say about this one? No, I think that's it. I, I I dug it. I mean, I'm I'm not gonna have a lot of criticism for this album. I'll be right up front. I really it was a good I, no. Time. I'm glad you guys liked it, and I mean, I like it a lot too. No, it's a good album. All right, let's move on to song number three, which is Thrash Unreal. Uh, this was not the first single, but it is sort of like the lead single. Yeah, when I read um, that, I was surprised. I was like, "How's this not the 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 lead single on this?" This to me is like, I don't want to. I mean, I guess this is a spoiler for later in the episode, but whatever. This is like one of the best their best songs. This to me is like one of their top four or five songs, if not like the number one best against me song. I fucking love this song. What do you guys think? I I mean it's a good one. I I do like it. Uh I never I don't know. I I never know like where they're going with some of some of the I'm really bad at interpreting lyrics. I'm oh. way better at interpreting intent. Like sure. I if anybody that listens to the POD cast like I kind of make fun of like new metal musicians because of the way they write like that's what i'm good at i'm good at like looking at it and being like uh, uh oh uh she was very pissed off this day and like uh i don't i don't know I, I it's interesting to look at this in like look at this now bef- after the transition i guess right. some of these songs on here to me yeah are like really it it makes you spend a little extra time thinking about what she's singing about yeah, like, that has been a big theme on the show. Yeah. And later at the end of the show, we're going to have a direct quote from Laura where she talks about that sort of exact thing. Like, but basically, there are a lot more against me songs than you would think that are about being trans. Yep. Whether early, they are early, directly early. about being trans or not. Uh, and I think there's a little bit of it in this one. This song was actually Butch Vig's idea. Uh, what he suggested was they write a song like Lou Reed's Walk on the Wild Side, which I don't think he realized what he was sort of suggesting to her uh, at the time, because obviously that song is about a trans person. Uh, so I don't I mean, he didn't know that Laura was not out, but I just thought that was kind of like, wow, what an interesting suggestion to make to her. You yeah, know, it's, it's definitely got all the marks of a Lou and like, song. I went back and listened to walk on the wild side like three or four times for this and like if you listen to it with that in mind the songs are similar like they they yeah they are they do like complement each other in a way yeah when you, uh, i wouldn't have put it together had you not said that but no i wouldn't have either it, i read it in the book but i'm yeah. just like okay I get go it. back and go listen to lou reed walk on the wild side and like you can see like it was a major influence on this song. And basically what this song is about is about a woman who is struggling with addiction as she gets older and sort of not wanting to give up the party lifestyle. And it's Oof. just sort of like a really fun song about some kind of depressing 
stuff. But I, I don't think Laura sort of paints this person as like a tragic figure. No. I don't think you're supposed to feel sorry for her. Well, because um, in the in the end, she says she wouldn't change a thing. You know, like she, right. she alludes to like she wouldn't have done it any differently. You know, I think it. I, I think it. I like it hits home because it talks about how you know only finishing high school doesn't get you much more than a minimum wage job, and you can't survive off of that. And you know, it's right. like, oof, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a very cool song. It's a yeah, cool it's song. It's a great like slice of life song. Like, yeah, one of my favorite songs by that. All right, yeah. let's move on to, to number four, White People for Peace. And this was like the first single. This was the first one released. I've been walking around saying, protest songs. <laughs> <laughs> All like, day. I really, I really like this song a lot. Uh, it's kind of like a high concept song because uh, I've read a couple interviews where the band was sort of upset that they feel like people were misinterpreting it. Uh, it's a, sort of about like the futility of anti-war yeah. anthems and sort of yeah, trying to that. figure out like, yeah. <laughs> what, like what place do we have? Like we're sort of, I think 2007, there was a feeling at this time of like, wow, we wrote all these songs and we all rallied together and we really tried hard. And like, none of our music did anything about George Bush. Like he's just going to walk away scot-free and it's fine. And I think that was sort of weighing on her at the time of like, well, um, there's, there's a certain, you start to feel like there's a certain, you know, futility in doing it. Sure. And I think that naming the song white people for peace is just like really shoving that dagger in a little harder. Right. And that's what they said. <laughs> that people were sort of misinterpreting. Nothing. They were like, people think that it's like a racist song and that we're saying that we're the white people for peace and yeah, kind of things. I so. think, they're, think they're missing the, the point of that one. Yeah. yeah. But, and yeah. I like, I like this one because this is another thing that is inside of me as a person. Right. Where it's like people, if, if they say like, if, if people ask why we're not doing as overtly political type of humor on the show, if, if like somebody asks me that one of the answers I have is like, it ain't fucking doing anything anyway. Yep. Like yep. I sat and watched that shit happen with yeah. Bernie Sanders in 2016. It just, and, and 2020, and 2020, we ain't going to fucking win. And it's not, if we do win, it's not going to be comedians and musicians right. that yeah. win the thing. That is a misconception that people have about anybody who does anything slightly political. Like, oh, you just want to save the world. I do, but I don't think that I don't think that anything I ever say changes anybody's mind. And I think that's really the key to like being a person who who like understands their place in the world. And I think this song was a, a song that made me that, that is how I feel a lot of times where it's like, yeah, man, I guess I'll, I mean, I'll go see top gun because it's a, it looks like a fun movie with airplanes in it. Right. Yes. I know it's fucking propaganda, but me not seeing the movie doesn't make it. It's not going to make a fucking, <laughs> right, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I've been boycotting Walmart since 2003. And, and I doing have just fine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And like, it's just like, a, a. I think when you're, when you're in the position that I'm in with, or that it, even more that Laura Jane Grace is in at, at the time when you're in that sort of position, uh, you know what your 
place in the world is, and it's other people that are inflating your place in the world. It is not you saying like, I write all these songs and you know, I'm going to get people, I'm going to break open the prisons and stuff like that. You're not saying that you're saying, this is how I feel. And people are saying, people think you're doing something else. And, and, and like that there is just such a futility. It feels when you make specifically leftist sort of, political art or comedy i think one thing that's tough when you're like a leftist or an anarchist or whatever is like it does kind of feel like you're you're always losing and like um (laughs) you can sort of try as hard as you want but at the end of the day like man we got a big mountain to climb before there's any progress made on like any kind of important issue like and at the end of the day like writing a song about it is great and I, and you can listen to it and feel great yes this person feels like me i'm not alone in the world and that's a super powerful thing but at the end of the day like joe biden is not going to hear a song about like the israel palestine conflict and change his mind it's just not going to happen so like you know i don't know yeah yeah i i agree it's 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 hard. It's hard to take on that kind of, I'm, I'm, a, I'm on, I, I am on the left and it's like, we know what we have to do to get where we want to go. And it ain't fucking writing songs or posting on Twitter, <laughs> Absolutely. Or, you know, yeah. being online. It's, it's, it's all that. What's important is to get out and vote. Uh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Vote as hard Boo. as you can. Boo! But vote, vote as many times as <laughs> well, you can. That brings us. That brings us to our next song. Actually, that's a good um, segue. As we move on to song number five, which is "Stop," and uh, I'm going to go first here uh, and just say there are very few against me songs that like I just don't like at all, and uh, this one just has like never appealed to me i just i i i kept thinking like i listened to this album probably like 12 times and i kept thinking like okay this will be the time i finally get into stop and every time i'm just like nah it just doesn't do anything for me what do you guys think not bad i i it's not bad it's no it's not bad it's a little bit it's not interesting well, it just feels like Laura's better than this. Like you can write better lyrics than this. And you know what? You know what's right too. Yeah, <laughs> right. Well, that, that I'm gonna. You ruined this for me, Dwayne, because you sent that fucking video, and I was like, okay, we'll talk I don't, about the video. I don't feel relatively one way or the other. And then I watched that video, and I was like, oh man, this is all right. this is brutal. That and that's I, all. I, I um, I talked about all to Austin about this. Off air, and I also sent the video to Brian. Uh, I was unaware that this existed, but Against Me did a music video for this song. They actually made two music videos, but the second was for MTV's Rock the Vote campaign. And they basically made a music video encouraging people to vote. And I never thought the day would come where I would learn something about this band that I love so deeply that I do a podcast about them (laughs) that would make me like them less. And I got to say, like, I still love them and they're my favorite band and everything, but I watched this music video two times and I like, 
I like them just like a tiny bit less than I did before this. This video sucks. It's so bad. Not great. It's not a great video. <laughs> Can you imagine if this came out in 2022? Oh, like you, this would get shredded. No, but did you read any of the comments on YouTube? No. <laughs> oh, there's a comment from a year ago, and it's like, wow, this is just as relevant in 2007 it is oh, today. No. And I was like, yeah. Oh my God. Let me just, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're pretty rough, man. Go back and take a look. It's it's this band. I just can't believe they saw what was happening today, all the way back in 2007. I'm like, it wasn't that long ago, motherfucker. So essentially, essentially, what happens in the video if you haven't seen, which I really suggest you you go watch it. Um, it's stop rock the vote version. Um, essentially what happens in the video is they are playing in front of a voting booth and then various um, things happen. People try to stop people from voting and uh, then eventually like they blow up the, the voting poll station and it's all the votes. Yeah. Yeah. The votes votes rocked this, the polling station and it caught fire. Dude, and we talked a lot about like we don't believe in selling out and people's politics change and all that. But look, guys, don't tell me to vote. Like I, I, I don't want to hear that. I always feel like this type of thing is a label responsibility. It has because to. it has to. every because I mean. Y- I would never do something like this. No, ever in my whole like. If somebody asked me to do it, and it was like a responsibility that every every election there has to be a certain amount of songs about voting, uh, I would just be like, "I okay, can we not do that part? Like the part, yeah. the rock of the vote part." But at I that also time, don't... it felt like everybody had to do rock the vote for some yeah. reason. I also don't think like the song's not about voting. No, it's really like, shoehorned in there. Yeah, like it's it, really shit. That's why it's like it's why it's so jarring. It's like the with the visuals of the video versus what the actual song is about. You're like, yeah, what you boy, you really you really hammered that to make it. Laura, fit. I couldn't find a lot about Laura talking about this video. I and wonder it why. Be, it may uh, and it may be later in the book, and I just haven't gotten to. It. But I don't think so. But the only thing I really could find that like, you know, she said the director was just like really into like the like election stuff and there's got to always be something on screen like encouraging people to vote but the absolute most the worst part of the video to me is how it opens with like these people getting on screen and going like i vote because you know of some bullshit. Uh, one of them just says one of them just says poverty and it's yeah. like are you in poverty or you vote because of poverty i vote right. to keep poverty going if i vote for these democrats they're gonna keep the system rolling brother <laughs> yeah i i don't ever know like <laughs> I I if so I couldn't even pretend to do that. But I guess they're just like go it's like when you go to college on the first day of class they're like go around the room and say what your hobbies are and like 80% of the people when I was in 2016 when I was in college or actually I graduated 2015. But like 80% of them would just be like Netflix. It's like that's not like a hobby <laughs> at all. It's yeah. not even like specific enough to be anything. Yeah. Really? You just said Netflix. <laughs> yeah, this this to me is just kind of like a bland and generic song. And like, I don't know. To me, I just want more out of this band. Uh, I think they can do better. And that's why it bothers me. I don't have a problem with it, do it being experimental or anything like that. But this just felt to me like 
tacked on. This didn't need to be. Yeah, I think it's also something about, you know, like getting a lot of times bands will do stuff to get that part of the contract done and over. Right. <laughs> sure. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah. Okay, it's done. That's or it's maybe a song they they think. I mean, it's going to reach a lot more people when you do the rock the vote version, right? Uh, sure. Like people can be like, "Oh shit!" You know, they're telling us to vote. You get the Dems on your side, and you turn into a rich guy like uh, Ira Glass. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah, there's like an alternate reality where Obama sees this and it's like, "Oh, I like." I gotta shit. say, I wasn't expecting a fucking Ira Glass name drop in the middle of this episode. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> All right. You, Brian. You guys, are you guys ready to move on to the next song? <laughs> Yes, please. <laughs> All right, let's go into song number six. Born on the FM waves of the heart. Um, I'll go first here again. This is another one that like I really like a lot. This is probably my second favorite song on the album. Uh, before we get into sort of what it's about and who the guest vocalist is, why don't uh, Brian, you go ahead and tell us what you think about this one. <laughs> It is very hard for me and and <laughs> to take a song with this title in any kind of seriousness. The title is bad. <laughs> it's so goofy. You see it and you're like, what is, what are you? It's so, I don't even think, like, I don't even know if I, this song is the one that's about kind of uh, selling out, basically. being well, actually, selling out. Actually, what this is about is um, Laura beginning her relationship with uh, her second wife, Heather, at the time. Uh, they sort of got together. Against Me was on tour with Alkaline Trio, and she was selling their merch. And uh, they sort of started dating, and both of them kind of felt like the relationship was moving too fast and not really wanting to... Um, be in a relationship with each other, but also like just like really being like obsessed with each other and, and not being sure how to handle that. And that's sort of what the song is about. Um, I think it was, I got like big meatloaf uh, paradise by the dashboard light vibes from, (laughs) but I really liked the song. It was a lot of fun. I was like, I was like, yeah, this is, this is that song where couples sing to each other about what it's like feeling feelings for each other. Now, Austin, I don't, (laughs) I don't like to say that we were talking about you behind your back. But there, there was a debate uh, in the Discord, and I also ran a poll on Twitter about if you would be familiar with who the other vocalist is in this song. Oh, yeah. Uh, it is a, it is a woman. Tegan, Tegan from Quinn. Tegan and Sarah. Okay, you didn't know them. I want you to know, Austin, that only one person believed in you, and it was Dalton. Oh. <laughs> Every other person I asked or that voted in the poll said that you would not know Tegan and Sarah. I'm just uh, I'm a, I'm an expert at like this very you know sub niche of lesbian uh, rock. It's just kind of a thing. I just that's when I when I I put the L in the LGBTQ when I have my you know my moment. I, it's that's right that's there. Excellent, it's Tegan and Sarah. <laughs> Ryan, are you and familiar the at all with Tegan and Sarah? <laughs> uh, no, okay. I, I'm familiar with them as people that exist but i'm not i wouldn't know what they do i will say like when i was in high school it well more like right after high school i remember going to the warp tour in 2006 uh which is around the time this album was written and tegan and sarah were like fucking huge uh it was never really my thing i went back 
three or four times over the past couple of weeks as we're preparing this album. And like, I'm going to crack the code on this. I'm going to figure out what it is about Tegan and Sarah, but I got to say, like, it's just not for me. No, it's not for me either, but I do know the band. I am familiar okay. with them, well, but yeah, go. that's, I think she's great here. Like, I think she's, she has I a great think, voice and, and she harmonizes with Lauren Jane yeah, Grace. They, I mean, like they really, they, yeah. they sing well together. So essentially what happened was they met on that warp tour. Uh, they were mutual fans of each other and uh, they sort of joked about working together. And uh, Laura wrote this song specifically for Tegan. They're also both and, on Sire records at the same time. So that, yes. sure that helped thing. Makes yes. it easier. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, I think, you know, sort of the idea was like exposing each other's fan bases to each other. And uh, yeah, but mainly Laura just was like, said she was like a really big fan of them and tegan was a big against me fan uh basically um tegan was being interviewed um and then the person interviewing her was telling her like oh i'm interviewing laura next and she was just like well what if i did the interview what if you know i'd really like to talk to her and uh that's what they did and they hit it off and they became friends so um yeah that's the story behind this song but yeah it's it's um I always interpreted this to be like a breakup song, but it's actually the opposite. It's actually a song about a relationship beginning and just the sort of fear and anxiety that uh, she felt around that at the time. All right, let's move on to song number seven, which is Piss and Vinegar. Brian, what do you think of this one? That's good. I like this. She is mad about being a rock star. I, I love yeah. that kind of shit. If I was younger, I would have hated it a little bit more. But like when I listened, another really great example of uh, this is Follow the Leader by Korn. If you take all the goofy songs out of it, the, the like joke songs, it's them just and issues is the other one. It's just all about it can be crazy to be a rock star sometimes. Like that's right. the whole meaning behind the song, and I like that. I think this also might be uh, about like when fans say things that like they feel like they have to tell you everything they think about the show, so they tell you like a lot of negative stuff to it. Makes you feel like yeah. shit. Yes, and she said that was happening like at basically every show. Yeah, so people would confront her before and after the show, telling them that she sucked and they sold out, and you don't play the right songs anymore, and the show costs too much, and et cetera, et cetera. So, right. yeah, and, and one, I was gonna say, here's my question about that because we talk about toxic fans and being shitheads about any sort of change in their sure. favorite or perceived change in their favorite. What do you hope to accomplish by confronting? you know, Laura Jane Grace and telling her that other than making yourself feel better, or is that just it? Yeah, that's it. I think it's just to show off to like your friends mostly, you know, or, or yeah, sort of make yourself feel better because she's not going to go like, Oh man, I never thought about that. I'm going to, I'm walking into Warner brothers head office tomorrow and tell them to go fuck themselves. Everything I've done up until now was a mistake, except those first three albums that you seem to like. Yeah. Which, yeah, it's just, I don't know. It's crazy, but um, it pisses me off. I hate it. It was, you know, and, and one thing that she talked about in the book at the time was the other members of the band just didn't have any tolerance for that shit. They would just sort of ignore it. And they they were like getting married and buying houses. And they're like, look, we did it. We're we're making money now. Like it doesn't matter like what the fans 
think because like they would just find some other reason to hate the new yep. album like always and laura really really took this stuff personally she is the primary songwriter these songs are about her you know even if they're like a thinly veiled and i think when you put yourself in that position, the tax, these sort of comments feel a whole lot more personal than it would be for the drummer right. or the guitar player, or, you know, like it, it, no one's going to take the song as personally as the person who wrote it, especially if it had anything to do with them. Sure. Uh, I also think like Laura's great at being like confrontational and self-deprecating at the same time. Like she's calling other people out, but she's also talking about her own insecurities and she's really good at like mixing those two things and uh it's just, just sort of a short aggressive song yeah I, I like it a lot um anything else you want to say brian no no good song. all right let's move on to song number eight americans abroad austin what do you think about this one i don't want to ruin the ending <laughs> Okay. This, this is the I kept listening to this album. This is the song I skipped over. <laughs> yeah, this is another one. I, I I wouldn't say I don't like it, but I mean it's not too obvious. I was like, okay. I mean, I understand where you're going, but I'm like, you could, you're you could be a little bit more subtle. No, I, yeah. I so basically, what the song is about is about uh, the band touring overseas and and more of feeling self conscious about being American. And yeah, like you said, it's just I don't know. I also don't think like, hmm, I think Laura is really good at like writing about very specific things in a way that feels like relatable. But I think here, like if you're not in a band traveling overseas, I don't think there's like a lot you can take away from this one. Brian, what do you, what do you think about it? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I think it's a specific type of problem for people who travel a lot Right. that uh, I don't know what it feels like to be an American abroad because I have never been abroad. Yeah. I don't (laughs) think the uh, against me audience as a whole was like, yeah, I hate it when I go over to Europe and they're, they look at me weird. One time when I was in Amsterdam. uh, Yeah. uh, Yeah. Yeah, So I, I don't really have anything else to say about this one. Uh, Just not like, again, if I had to say, if someone put a gun to my head and said, do you like this or not like it? I guess I would say I like it, but. It, it's it's just all right yep fine is what they say <laughs> yeah all right let's move on to song number nine which is animal i think this is just a really weird and cool song i really like this song oh, Brian, really? what do you think about it uh well I, I i i my answer was i don't i wrote down a note i don't know not much to say it's fine which <laughs> okay. is a classic brian <laughs> listening to an album uh thing you know like because sure. I, I have to do it every month and and like take notes for songs and stuff like that and some songs it's like i have a million things to say other songs i'm like all right whatever yeah i mean <laughs> I, it's also when i get closer to the end of the album i get i think a yeah. little more grumpy for some reason okay like, whatever sure. i've heard you say everything you're gonna say now yeah <laughs> <laughs> Austin, what, do you, what do you think about it just it seemed out of place like i could see where the other songs kind of fit together you know and, and it's telling a story okay. about a band in a certain point in time and this one i was like where is that coming from i mean it's that's cool you know what i think the there's not a lot of horny punk songs you know what i mean i, I can only think of a few that are like really good 
you got like she's automatic by rancid but uh you got like i think the distillers have a couple there's a few but uh yeah i don't know i like this song but uh, Wayne, i think you i think you owe the audience the listening audience uh a Spotify horny punk uh, playlist now. Oh, I don't know. There can't be That's enough. what I'm saying. I don't think there's that many songs. Like, I mean, you, can, you can go back to like the Dead Boys and stuff like that. They did sing about like fucking and stuff like that. There's like, okay. But it was like there's all like, I'll spit on my dick. Horny punk song. Right. Yeah. There's like shit that's like terrible. Like, you know, there's shit that's like really offensive and inappropriate. But like, as far as like just a good, punk song about like i'm just horned up i don't know that there's that many you know <laughs> maybe stand, i'm wrong i couldn't even stand to see him doing it live like looking at a punk band while they're singing about being <laughs> real horny like, i just feel like punk I don't is like not this. sexy music at all it's just no. not like i'm sure there are weirdos who like go see female punk singers and stuff because they think they're hot or whatever but I don't know. To me, like, it's just, that's not sexy music. It's not what we're here to do. <laughs> I don't know. No. Not low light and candle music. <laughs> yeah, it's just not. I don't know. But you know what? If you're listening and you're like, hey, you're wrong. Here's a bunch of punk songs that are good and about sex. Send them to me. I'll check them out. Yeah, hit, him, hit up Dwayne's Twitter. Don't yeah. leave me the fuck out of that. But, uh, all right. Probably- <laughs> I don't, I don't think I want to, I mean, Gigi Allen, does Gigi Allen count? I mean, not horny. as good. He's horny not as, as hell. Talking about good songs. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, he is horny as hell, though. <laughs> I will true. say that he's got yeah. some very horny songs. He's just not good. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, there's not a lot of good punk songs. There. Yeah, it's it's tough. Um, all right, let's move on. <laughs> I don't know that we talked about that song too much, but we said what needed to be said about it. I like the song, though. Let's move on to song number ten. This is a big one. The ocean. Um, not even sure where to start with this one. It's definitely their most experimental song. Um, I will say some background info without getting into the lyrics or anything. The label hated this. Uh, they did not want it on the album. The band and also Butch Vig basically had like little to no response to it. They just like didn't really think that much of it one way or the other, but Laura demanded it stay because obviously it was an extremely personal song to her. She talked about this is one of the few times where writing a song and it just all came to her at once and it was fully formed in her head in just a moment. She was on the beach uh, smoking some weed and came up with this song. And uh, obviously it's very deep and personal um austin what do you think of it i didn't get it halfway through the first listen and then the second half that second verse kicked in and i was like oh boy this is there there's there's a lot here uh that i didn't necessarily pick up on you know and i mean we have the benefit of hindsight being what it is but it it it, i i enjoyed it I, I, i think it's a really interesting song i think it's a an interesting song in a way. I, I think the thing about this band is that they always end albums in a very odd way and not odd, bad, but like, an, like right. the, the last song always kind of leaves you going, is this what to expect next? Cause this doesn't sound like anything that happened before. And I actually right. think that's a really, I don't know if it's, if it's totally 
uh, intentional, but I think it's a really interesting way to to make an album. I will say one, and I didn't bring this up earlier, but one criticism that I had of this album, even though I, I, I do like it a lot, was I felt like, okay, this is your major label debut. Let's do some weird shit. And yeah. I think Laura was sort of a little hesitant to go out of her comfort zone in a way that she had hadn't been on previous albums. And here, I mean, this is, you know, for the most part, just a pretty straightforward punk album all the way through. And uh, I think this song in particular, like, okay, now we're really going for it. Now we're doing something interesting. And it will be a few episodes before we talk about White Crosses, but that is the next studio album that we'll get to. And it's a lot more experimental and, in my opinion, interesting. Uh, but this song is one of their most notable songs, one of Laura's favorite songs to play live. She talks about it being a staple of the live shows, basically, as soon as this album came out. And uh, I don't think we have asked Brian what he thought about it. So what do you think about it, Brian? It's I my note was short. I liked it. Yeah, I liked it. And my note was it's a sweet little song that's even better in context. Yeah, like it's just a nice little sweet song. And like I do. It's funny that you brought that up, Austin, about like this album ends the way that the next one's supposed to begin. I never realized this, but that's how I've always thought of right. albums my whole life and now you saying it was like i like i always felt like the first song is the furthest of way from what the first song on the next album is going to be and the last song is the closest right and it just the keeps first going. song and the next one it, it probably doesn't hurt that i've had to listen to all these in order for the first yeah. time <laughs> and i could you can kind of isolate it but yeah i don't know i think it's i think it's an interesting approach it's an interesting way to listen a couple more things i wanted to say about it was uh first of all we mentioned him on every show i think we've already brought him up before friend of the show dalton this was his favorite against me song he told me that this is really he thought this was the best song that they made uh because he recently went through and listened to all their albums and, and he told me that he thought that this was their best song so other thing i wanted to say about it was laura was really paranoid at the time that people were going to basically hear this song and realize that she was coming out, but nobody took it that way. Which no, is shocking when you look back nobody, on it. <laughs> we, will, we will have a quote about it where she talks about it in her own words. So I won't get too detailed about it right now, but I mean, she just talked about playing it for Butch and going like, Oh, is that, too weird should i maybe change that like trying to get some kind of reaction from him and him just being like no it's fine you know that's what you want to put in there that's great like nobody in the band like paid any attention to it and i will say too for me i mean the first time that i heard this song i didn't really think too much about it it's just like okay i guess she's really thought about being a woman that was sort of my only reaction to it. Like, it's a different um, time. 2007 is an yeah. entirely different. To, like, people weren't like regularly coming out as trans. No, back then. I mean, really, when Laura comes out in like 2012, I mean, she's one of the first like notable like trans celebrities. Yeah. 
I also kind of think uh, like within the context of the song, people aren't thinking that she's talking, saying anything literally, you know, it's not a, it's a, it's a weird enough song where you can kind of, you know, get around like, Oh, this was a metaphor for something I felt not the actual thing. So if, yeah, I think that's part of the reason I actually did. I I found a quote. I did a little research. Okay. And apparently uh, Lord, Lord Jane thought that she had outed herself and, uh, but Butch Vig actually said, um, and this is his quote, when we did that song, I was like, what's that all about? And Laura just kind of laughed it off and said, oh, I was stoned and drinking about or dreaming about what life can be. And then Butch was like, all right, let's keep going. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's how I would have responded to that. I'd be right. like, yeah, whatever. OK, cool. Yeah. I mean, like I, I vividly remember hearing this song for the first time and just thinking nothing of it. Like, just I like the song. And I thought it was a cool song, but as far as like that part of the song, I just didn't think about it too much. And then, of course, years later, she comes out and you're like, oh, yeah, duh. Yeah. How did you not yeah. realize? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, all right. Before we get into the quotes, there was one story I wanted to tell that just didn't fit anywhere anywhere else. But uh, we talked about it, them uh, getting called sellouts and stuff. And I have to say that. 2007, and I absolutely refused to listen to it. I was just like, I don't want to hear that shit. They're fucking, you know, they sold out. I don't, you know, I'm not listening to this major label shit. Like, get it out of here. And I remember, <laughs> I did not have any, any, I had some. I did not have many friends that were into, like, similar music to me. Uh, especially, like, stuff like Against Me. But we, I did have this one guy. I don't even know we were, if we were friends. I don't think he liked me very much, but we hung out in the same friend group. <laughs> but uh, he, t- I remember one time that album got brought up and he was like, well, you love against me. You haven't heard this. And I was like, no, I, I'm not listening to that shit. And he's like, you're a fucking idiot, bro. You don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Like this shit's good. They got a song on there about a woman who's a junkie. You need to listen to this. You don't, you're, you're being fucking stupid. By the way, I was that's just, the same voice you used to make fun of me going to the bodega. Cause I live in New York city. That's no, I just want you to know that <laughs> Yeah, he was a Northeast guy. <laughs> And uh, yeah, and I really took that to heart and I went and listened to the album. And I was like, no, he's right. This is pretty good. Yeah. I mean, I, I think we all go through that in yeah. our lives where we're like, we don't understand our relationship to music no. is not universal. Yeah. Uh, I read an interview where someone sort of ex- expressed similar things to Laura. And she basically said, well, like, you know, you were probably really young when you felt that way. And like I said, a lot of stuff when I was young that people hold me to now, and it sucks. So you know, don't worry about it. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, but uh, let's move on to the quotes. I have quite a few quotes here. I have an interview from 2007, an interview from 2017, and also uh, a quote from Laura's book. But I read a ton of interviews. This was another episode like Reinventing Axl Rose where. There's just so much information out about this album, the making of it, the response to it, the follow up. But this is the stuff that I thought was the most interesting. Uh, And the first quotes come from an AV Club interview in 2007 from a guy called Jason Heller. And um, the first thing he basically asked Laura here is it seems like there was an effort on the band's part to make the album very streamlined and concise. And what Laura says was, there were a couple factors that contributed to that. 
Our previous record was the opposite of that. It had a lots of dress. It had lots of drastic highs and low songs that were really rocking out and really fast and intense. And then we dropped down into very quiet acoustic moments. I think it, a lot of it was difficult to perform live. With this record, we wanted to make songs that would be fun to play live. So that was sort of the inspiration behind. Uh, you could hear it. I mean, I, I talked about like them having a bunch of anthemic sing song, you know, songs. And I yeah. think you, you see a lot of that here. Yeah, they're definitely like the songs are m- much more traditionally structured here. Well, they're easy to sing along with, too. Absolutely. They've got these really accessible choruses and you can just tell that like, hey, this is a, this is a live band, right? One, this is what a live band goes in the studio and records. One thing Laura talked about and that I really think is obvious on this album is Butch really helped her with her singing. Like her voice sounds really good here. And one thing he told her when he first met her was, you sing every song at 10. You can drop it down to seven or eight sometimes. Yeah. And, I, and she said that like, she really took that part and that really helped her out. Plus it'll add years to your voice. I mean, sure. like, yeah. it's a pretty smart thing. It's like, if you're blowing your, you're going to sound like Bob Dylan does right. today, which is like a unrecognizable swamp thing. I don't, I don't even know what he, <laughs> it's, it's awful. Another quote from that 2007 interview. And this is Laura talking about the meaning of the album title. In a lot of ways, I'm trying to say that from a, from the perspective of a fan of music. The fans have control over it. We can decide what pop culture is. We can define ourselves. Music and the presentation of art today is totally in our control, with the internet specifically. You no longer need record labels. You no longer need movie distribution companies. You can just make it and put it online, and it will distribute itself to millions of people. The borders and everything have been broken down. It's really in the hands of the people. Yeah. yeah, that's catching it early. Or yeah. Not early, 2007. I think we're all pretty sure we we're heading in this direction. Uh, but I I, I, mean, I didn't join Twitter until like 2009. So this is a MySpace age where it's just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. you are able to get in front of a lot more people. So, yeah. and, and around this time, a little bit after this, Laura would start to get more online and she had a blog for a while. And uh, yeah, I think. Around this time, she's sort of getting more open to the internet. And uh, Brian, there was a quote, and I didn't put it in here because it's just for time, but like she literally predicted Spotify in like 2007 and said like exactly what was going to happen. And it was like insane. I think we all kind of were looking at it being something to that effect. I don't think I ever believed that all of the music would be there. Yeah. Right, yeah. <laughs> I also don't think any, any especially artists predicted how bad they were going to get fucked as yeah. a result of everything. Right. Spotify. Absolutely. Because I definitely don't think they would have talked it up like they did. Yeah. All right. Let's move on. The next couple quotes come from an article from Spin Magazine. And uh, this is Against Me's Laura Jane Grace Looks Back on New Wave by Rachel Brodsky. And I want to shout her out here. I thought she did like a really impressive interview. She asked some really interesting and thoughtful questions. And I'm always impressed by that because I read a lot of interviews for this show where people sort of ask the same questions. And uh, she really got some like interesting and thoughtful stuff out of Laura. And I was impressed with that too. Cause I also think like, you know, like if we have guests on the show, I guess we have Brian here, but I don't know if <laughs> I was thinking like, uh, you know, if we got April from Ace to the State, I'm probably just going to ask her, like, hey, you ever seen Cody Rhodes go through a flaming table? I'll lead that show. Don't worry. 
<laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> so she's talking about the ocean uh, and about, you know, um, coming out as transgender. And Rachel says, no one ever asked about that in an interview. And Laura says, nothing, never, nothing. The record label didn't want us to put that song on. And that's why it's the last song on the record. They were like, okay, I guess put it on last. And I was like, fine. It's been a song that stayed in our set less more than most of the other songs on that record. Every single against me album has songs about gender dysphoria on it. Every single one. It's just that some of them weren't as direct as the others. And uh, I think that's something that we've talked about a lot. And I just, it was nice to hear it like right from Laura. Brian, you anything you want to say about that? No, it's uh, it you, you can definitely. I haven't listened to them in a while, like reinventing Axl Rose and and stuff like that. But uh, you can definitely hear it. You can now, but yeah. again, nobody was really thinking in that direction at that time that it would become like. I don't know. I I don't think I was ready to hear that at that no. time. I'll put it like that. It's it's just I, I mean it's been surprising to me how blatant it was going in and that being like one of the only things I knew about this band. The next quote really isn't about anything that is on the album, but it's something that really stood out to me where Laura is talking about the experience of being transgender, uh, and this is a quote that really struck me. And what she says here is, "Most stuff is so simple." Like Andrew used to do this thing before we'd go on stage where he'd slap us on the back and just go, all right, boys, let's go. It would make my skin crawl. And he was just trying to be nice. He wasn't doing it maliciously, but there was no way I could say it at the time. There were so many things like that throughout the day that would bring me down and make me a miserable person to be around. But you live and you learn, I hope. Yeah. Nobody knew. Nobody knew. Not anybody. I just, I think like one thing that um, I don't even know how to, I don't even know if I want to get into it, but like things are pretty bleak right now. And uh, I just like, you read stuff like that and it's like, God, just the daily fucking struggle yeah, of just little things. And then you have all these fucking freaks now screaming at you all the time and it's oh, yeah. just uh it's the worst it's horrendous yeah all right the final quote we have here comes from laura's book and uh, <laughs> she's sort of also talking about um the meaning behind the title here and she says the title was supposed to suggest rebirth the beginning of a new chapter in the band's history but it all seemed cursed from the start and uh, we sort of talked about that before, that they just kind of realized, like, the major label, we're having to make a lot more concessions than we realized. And maybe not musically, but professionally. Right. We're having to play shows we don't want to play. Work with sponsors we don't want to work with. Talk to people that we don't want to talk to. And she talked about just, like, uh, when they worked on their contract, they had to pay their lawyer $75,000. And she just talked about like not being able to get over like that amount of money, like just to sign a piece of paper. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's tough. You know, I mean, we talk about creatives making their money, but it's also tough when it turns into a job, you know, it, it, there's, there's, yeah, yeah. especially at that level, you know, I mean, like, right. 
if you're still directly supported by your listeners or your fans, it's one thing, but like when you start bringing in advertisers and, and the stakes become a lot higher and you know, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a fucking job. And this ultimately like we'll get into it here and then we'll get into it more on future episodes. But I think Laura kind of feels like the major label experiment was mostly a bust uh they made some money and uh they did okay but it didn't take off the way that they thought it was going to the way the label thought it was going to and uh, i think ultimately she doesn't regret the experience but i think she says that while they learned a lot they probably would not have done it in retrospect um isn't that like that's such a tale as old as, as right. so right sure it's like you just but, think you think to yourself but we're gonna do it different and then you get right absolutely meat grinder and you're yeah. like oh my god it's the same yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah but uh you know it is what it is all right let's move on to the final segment of the show uh like let's hear it austin I think you've already told us, but what is your worst song? Oh, it's it definitely Americans Abroad. Absolutely, hundred percent. No, no. Is there any you want to elaborate that on that? No, anymore? I just I, I it's just too on the nose. Yeah, you know, it's, and it's it, I think I didn't even think about when you know, talked about the experience that people most of their the listener base doesn't actually have, but I think you, you're right. fucking right as rain on that. Yeah, I just wasn't. I mean, most against me fans were pissed that it cost fifteen dollars to get into the show in which, like two thousand three. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> like, Brian, what did you think the worst song was? The worst song I would say to me, and I'm sure this is not popular or whatever that is, but uh, the uh, up the cuts, I guess. But also the one I'll say this: "Born on the FM Waves of the Heart." Uh, the, the title silly and it felt like them trying to do almost like a U2 sort of thing. And I don't like U2. Okay, so I can, I'll <laughs> save that one. I can see that a little bit uh, for me. Although I love that song, but for me, it was stop. Uh, I don't, I think I said what I need to say about it, but yeah, don't, I just, I don't like it. I don't like that song. I don't know. All right, let's move on to best song. Brian, what do you think the best song on this album was? White People for Peace, because I'm still in my mind going, protest songs. (laughs) So I think that's going to stick with me forever. Yeah, that's a great one. Austin, what was your pick? You know, I'm going to be fucking lame and pick the most popular song on the album, but it's it's thrash unreal. When I came on, I was like, oh, my God. Well, Austin, we finally did it. We had the same best song pick. Just take it as what? eight yeah. episode nine we did episodes? not have the same worst this time but we did have the same best <laughs> i and like i said last time i thought we would yeah to me like this is just that's just like unquestionably one of their best songs it's so catchy it's so cool the lyrics are great i just i love it yeah, it's good stuff all right anything else that you guys want to say before we start closing this out Let's wrap it I, up. I don't have anything 
All right. I, so I, we covered it. <laughs> <all right. laughs> yeah, we definitely covered it. All right. Let's move on to the final segment. And uh, Brian, you may not know this, but Austin loves, he loves to do plugs. He's always <sighs> telling me like, God, I want to plug my podcast so much. So Austin, I know you've been Jesus just Christ. chomping at the bit to get to it. So tell us about it if you catch my grift. Uh, that's the name of the other show I'm on, uh, about con men, fraudsters, you know, just hucksters, all the, the worst of the worst scammers out there. Um, and I believe at this point, probably by the time this comes out, we'll have our next episode that kind of delves back into the ancient alien grifters. Um, so it's a fun, it's a fun episode. Nobody really gets hurt in this episode, like most of them. So it's a little bit All of a right, departure. But yeah, check that out if you catch my grift. All right, Brian, I can't imagine anybody listening to this hasn't heard of your podcast. But <laughs> would you like to plug them? <laughs> well, hey, uh, Street Fight Radio, pretty easy to find. Uh, if you want the weird shows that we talked about, about like shock jocks and like just different subjects, you got to go to patreon.com slash street fight radio. Uh, if you want to listen to a music podcast about new metal, uh, me and my buddy, John from blocked party, do a podcast, John Cullen, do a podcast together called the P O D cast. That's P O D K A S T. And, uh, we review one new metal album every month uh i nominate two and john nominates two and we put a poll up on twitter and we we do the one that wins and uh we've done a lot of real classic new metal albums and uh uh people like it it's only a monthly show so you know i just want to say two things about that first of all the pod cast was the number one inspiration for this show uh huge fan of you and john and just that show and uh yeah i mean i would not have had the idea to do a music podcast if i wasn't such a big fan of that show and also like the shocktober street fight shows are legitimately like the funniest podcast that i think i've ever heard i go back to those man cow episodes (laughs) all the time i mean there's just like this shit is so great. I, I mean, I got to tell you, Brian, like seriously, some of the hardest I've ever laughed in my life was that and the fucking March Madness shit with the uh, the sports radio guys. They, they were like, I'm not a sports guy at all, but some of those guys are just the weirdest fucking dudes in the world. Uh, so, yeah, you, people should definitely check that stuff out if if they haven't. Somehow. If you listen I, that, to this and you haven't listened to Street Fight, I don't know what you're doing. You got to get your priorities in order. I very much obsess over things like uh things that are a little bit weirder than uh you know i i know there's a lot of young people that probably don't even know what a shock jock is it was just a type of radio that went on in the 90s and stuff i'm obsessed with like weird radio guys and just oddity guys weird guys i'm just a big weird guys guy i will say i will say one thing since we're we're talking about music and shock jocks and then we will do one last thing and then we'll let you go but um there's only been one time in my life where I've actually gotten so mad listening to a podcast driving down the road that I actually cut it off and just started yelling to myself in the car. And that is when you guys talked about the grease man. Uh, and he said, he made some like racist comments about Lauren Hill. Oh, yeah. And like that really like just made my skin crawl that like a guy that fucking talentless and just like useless as a human being <laughs> would like, <laughs> 
have anything negative to say about just like Lauren Hill, just like one of the most genius fucking artists of all time. Oh my God. I got some hands under that. Yeah. I mean, he's a, that guy is really racist. Like <laughs> the thing about it is like everyone you've ever covered, even Imus, I can go like, I see why some person would like this but i literally don't know what the appeal of, of the grease man is to anyone like i just i, I can't imagine either. any human being listening to that <laughs> i don't either he was a revelation to me yeah, uh, very crazy crazy music <laughs> or crazy show and music so all right the last thing we're going to do and we actually did this out of order this time but whatever is talk about what we're going to talk about next time uh it's going to be a different than normal episode uh we actually did the episodes out of order because when Brian agreed to do this, I was not going to ask him to listen to a live album because uh, <laughs> I, I know he hates live albums. Yeah, you save the good shit for me. I appreciate it. Uh, yeah. I, don't, I don't like live albums and I don't like remixes. Oh, brother, I'm with you on the remix thing. I don't ever. There were some remixes for this album and the last album that we just did not listen to because I'm just I'm not listening to a remix. Get it out of here. Yeah. Uh, so it, you can find some against me remixes out there if you wish to, but we're not going to talk about them on this show. Uh, but next time we are going to be talking about Americans abroad live in London. It's going to be a different than normal show. We are not going to go song by song. We will have talked about all these songs, but we're going to talk about the album and what was going on with the band at the time. But, uh, you know, we'll have other stuff to talk about. I'm going to Motion City soundtrack concert austin will be going to forbidden door in chicago so we'll be talking about that stuff too i think that's it brian thank you so much for doing this thanks dude. man i have no really problem no fun. problem thanks for having me
so 